This message is um, the confusion of practice versus position in Christ. For all these years, I've heard, you know, you'll hear an emphasis, a preacher, an area, or whatever, there'll be an emphasis on the position we have in Christ. Especially in the more liberal groups, there is a, and, I'm, and, and understand what I'm saying here, there's an overemphasis on our position in Christ, if there can be such a thing, and there can be. To the place where it becomes what, what we have called, and I've told you, is what we call a health and wealth message. They go to the place, because they preach pretty much all on our position in Christ out of the Bible, and it is on the Bible, that they... It, they, they convince people that if you're a Christian, things will go well with you. That you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, you'll, your kids will grow up, everybody will be good, uh, finance is good, and, uh, you know, you'll be uh, prospered in everything you do. And if it doesn't happen, something's wrong with you. And so it leaves a lot of dead bodies of injured people. Health and wealth gospel injures a lot of folks and turns them away from the gospel, and turns them away from the Bible, turns them away from God, because obviously things don't always go well. And so when things don't go well, they begin to doubt their salvation, they begin to doubt whether they are doing right, and they begin to question. And a little of that is fine now. A little of that is fine, but we're talking about an overemphasis. And so position versus practice. Practice. Tonight I'm going to preach about practice or the practical side of our Christian experience. I, and uh, I, I want to try to explain the difference, but, but in the, by the end of the two messages, you will have clearly understood, and if you, are, if you don't already, probably do, the difference. There is a great confusion in the area of practice and our position in Christ, no doubt. One uh, the practice in Christ can often appear dismal and full of suffering and trouble. What the Bible describes of what to expect in this life as a Christian in our practice. Uh, the other, the position that the Bible describes for us that we have in Christ is beyond imagination wonderful and encouraging. But our position in Christ is taught, and our practice in Christ is taught. And so, how do you, how do you amalgamate these? How do you blend these two things together? And I'm going to try to help you with that, if you haven't already again. How do we melt these two opposite teachings of Scripture together to get the outcome of our text verse? If you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. I just bit my cheek. That's why I'm, that's the practical side of being a Christian. Man, that hurts. Anybody got any chewing tobacco? 
Oh, just a couple deacons back here. First Peter 3, 14, 15. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake. Look at the next few words. Happy are ye. Those two things don't go together. That's like oil and water. Suffer and happy. Suffer and happy. And be not afraid of their terror. By the way, they have terror. Neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That means get prepared. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason to hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see two perspectives of position and practice in this very verse, at the verse, verse 14. You see suffer and happy. The practice side of our Christian life is the now and now. It's, it's the realm in which we exist day by day. We are saved, but we are still living in this body called the body of this death in one of the last verses of Romans chapter 7. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So we're living there. Um, we are saved, but still have a strong evil nature. I appreciated our brother preaching on Wednesday night. And if you walk in the spirit, you have power over the evil nature, but the evil nature is there, ready to grab you if you don't want to walk in the spirit. It's present. We are saved, but easily led astray if we walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. We're saved and are promised, promised a load of suffering in this life, which will be used, the suffering in our lives will be used of God to make Christ known if we take it correctly. And that was kind of what the morning message was about. We are saved, but we're not exempt from the horrors that are common to man. Saved or lost, people get cancer. People like that man that got killed and his wife got killed, the kid, tragedies happen of every kind of sort to the saved people. We are saved, yes, but face the long road to physical decline and mental decline, possibly, with age. Now, I have been told statistically that only 20% of people, when they get old, lose their mind. But if you're one of the 20%, that's 100%. That's the way I always look at statistics. It's like when I had a surgery done, I went to the doc, and he said, you got a 1 in 10 chance of being stone deaf after the surgery. Now, you may say 10% ain't bad until it's you. 10% ain't good. That ain't good statistics. I said one in 10. He said one in 10. I took the chance. And obviously I can hear. <laughs> Skepticism. Skepticism. I got to have a. Uh, I'm preaching on suffering and suffering at the same time. But we're faced by personal betrayals. Nobody's exempt. Natural disasters. There were Christians up in Mexico Beach. Their churches up in that area were destroyed. Um, and the world 
is, has that. So we have some commonality with the suffering of the world. Just because we're born again, predestined, elected, atoned for, children of God, anointed from heaven, doesn't mean we, we miss out on that. But your, 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 your curly top preaching over there in Texas, he would tell you you're wrong on that. He says, if you, you know, God wants you just to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and blessed. And if you're not, something's wrong with you. You're not practicing this thing the way it should be. It's always you. Don't have enough faith. Uh, the confusion is, on one hand, we're given over 40-plus positional verses and promises in the Bible. Now, when I mean positional, I mean good. Ooh, I'll go over each one of them next week, week after, whatever. So let me give you five uh, statements about our position in Christ. Even though tonight's going to be on the practice, I want to at least go over the position enough to where you can get the comparison. First of all, these positions we have in over 40 of them in the Bible are not experienced, but are facts of the new life. Example would be justification. Are you justified? Being now justified by his grace? We are justified. By, we're, if you're saved, you're justified. Declared not guilty in Christ by shed blood. But you have not experienced that. That is just a position. It's a declaration. Secondly, the Christian positions are not progressive. They do not grow and develop from a small beginning. They are as perfect and complete the instant they are possessed as they ever will be in the ages to come. I'm justified where I stand before you now as justified as I'm ever, ever, ever going to be. They're not progressive. They don't grow. Thirdly, the posi these positions are in no way related to human merit. They are, they are made to stand on the unchanging person and merit of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He purchased them. And when we get accepted in the beloved through faith in Christ, we receive all these positional promises as a gift from him. Fourthly, every position in the Bible that we're given is eternal by its very nature. The consciousness and personal realization of these positions may vary in their daily walk of the believer, but the abiding fact of the new beginning are never subject to change in time and eternity. And fifthly, these positions are known by us only through divine revelation of the Holy Spirit. They defy human imagination, and since they are not experienced, the reality can be entered into only by faith, by believing the Bible, by believing the Word. So you take them, the eternal riches of grace are for the lowliest sinner who will only believe. Is that you tonight? Do you believe? I'm like the old guy that says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. So let me do a short listing, and I don't mean to weary you on this, but hang with me. We're going to go, this is a, a, a little train. I have these foundational verses now, I just got done discussing our position, but I'm not going to talk about it. I just wanted to let you know it's there, and we'll talk about it later. But I want to talk to you about a short listing of our practice, practical verses mentioned in Scripture that we will experience in this life. The foundational verses, what I'm going to say tonight, are found in 1 Peter 4.19, which, by the way, you ought to write this. This, this is a verse that I send to people, text to people. 
Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In 1 Peter 4.16, Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God on his behalf. James chapter 5, verse 10, one of our foundational verses, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Now, in those five, um, well, let me go one more. Hebrews 2.10, it says, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect, complete, through sufferings, talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus had to go through Gethsemane to complete him as our faithful high priest. Let me just say this. If Jesus Christ needed to go through these sufferings to complete him and make him the best high priest we could have, how much more do we have to go through stuff to complete us in Christ? And let me do one more. Second <laughs> Corinthians 1 9 says, but we, Paul said, to the Corinthians, and I did Sunday school, I think I did Wednesday night on this, but we had, the, we had the sense of death in ourselves. This is a great apostle Paul. That we should not trust in ourselves. We had the sense of death. Why? So we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but in God who raiseth the dead. Wow. So why, does, why, does, uh, why do bad things happen? Why, why do you suffer in a Christian life? So that you'll trust in God. And so that you'll be patient. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing. Patience don't come easy. Tribulation worketh patience. But yet, patience is a valuable commodity to God. You can't read the Bible without the patience of the saints and patience coming up all over the place. But I'm going to say patience is one hard thing. The vital key in ending the confusion of conflict between these two teachings the practice that we live is endured by faith, that it will work together for good, as I said this morning. The position that we have in Christ, biblically, and they're both taught in the Bible, is accepted by faith, but not experienced in this body. Christ will be glorified, that's what the purpose of that by faith everything's all right in our Father's house, we accept that. A thousand years from now, the present agonies or troubles that you have or disappointments you have uh, will not be remembered. The Bible says the former things shall not come into mind or be remembered. Our positional understanding, and we, we need it, we need to go over them, we need to know what they are, uh, helps us endure and live through the practical sufferings of our daily lives. And actually, because of our position in Christ that we take by faith and understand by faith and are revealed to by the Holy Spirit can actually make us happy in sufferings. And the world just has no clue with that. That's just, woo, can make you happy and can give you joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. So what is our attitude toward this life as a positional Christian in a practical time of suffering? Well, I think it's the spirit of humility. We should walk this life in a spirit of humility. 
Paul, if anybody had and understood the position he had in Christ, it was Paul. Would you not say that? Yeah. But what did he say about himself? He said, I'm the chief of sinners. He didn't go and say, I'm the greatest apostle. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul said in Ephesians 3.8, I'm less than the least of all the Gentiles. Now, for a Jew, they used to call Gentiles dogs. And that wasn't a compliment. And, and I'm sure Paul never said that. He probably did as a Pharisee, but once he got saved, he wouldn't say that. But he said, I'm less than the least of all those Gentiles out there. Humble. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Humble. Um, in 2 Corinthians 1, 5, 7 and 8, he says, The sufferings of Christ abounded in us. Humble. In verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 1, he says, I'm a partaker of his sufferings. He says in verse 8, I'm pressed out of measure. In verse 8, he said, I despaired even of life. In verse 9, he said, I had the sentence of death upon me. In, in Romans 8, 18, he said, the suffering this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. That's practical and position as clear as you're going to get it. In Philippians 3, 10, he said, the goal of his life was to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Not to have health, wealth, and a happy, wonderful, charm life. In First Peter, which is a book of suffering, by the way, Peter, both First Peter and Second Peter, it says First Peter four thirteen, we're a partaker of Christ's suffering. In Acts chapter five verse thirty one, it says we are counted worthy. He, they, they praised God that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name. In Acts chapter nine verse sixteen, when Jesus appeared to Paul. He says, I'm going to show you what great things you must suffer for my name's sake. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, they suffered all things that the gospel be not hindered. They knew that the sufferings that they were going through were, were going to propel the gospel forward. That they was going to give it a quality and a genuineness that only that suffering would give. In 1 Timothy 4, 10, they labored and suffered reproach. And maybe the crowning verse of all of I've spoken tonight is 2 Timothy 1.12 where it says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to what? To keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10 says, But we have this treasure. What treasure? The treasure of God, the Holy Spirit, the gospel in this earth and vessels, that the excellency of the power of God may be of God and not of us. Paul says something. I preached a sermon. Uh, I heard first heard it, first heard it preached by Jack Hiles years ago called Knocked Down But Not Knocked Down. It, it was on 2 Corinthians 4, 7, 4, 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. Always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Do you get it? Do you get it? 
The practice or practical life in Christ, our practical life, should be one of personal sacrifice, suffering, persecution, deprivation if necessary, all with a good spirit for the cause of Christ. Now, you can't stop a group like that. You can't stop a group like that. And that's why the New Testament church, though it was, it didn't have cell phones. It didn't have PowerPoint, Keynote. It didn't have fancy-dancy outlines. It didn't have any commentaries to go to. There were no commentaries to read. Them, that first hundred years, they had nothing we have. No communication ability, no TV, no internet, no Yet, by the grace of God, at the end of that hundred years, they had reached the known world with the gospel. Why? They understood what it was and what it meant to suffer for Christ. Health and wealth's false teaching has created a bunch of sissies for Jesus. Health and wealth, what's going on there with Joel Osteen and so many like him, Baker before him, Swagger before him, and so many others that draw massive crowds and tremendous amount of money and three or four Learjets. Has created a generation of sissies, gutless wonders that talk a lot about Jesus but have no power in their life. Buildings, budgets, and bucks is not what God's looking for. That's a Benny special, by the way. He's looking for people who are willing to copy what he did. You know, when we say, follow Jesus. Didn't somebody just say, if you're a Christian, you got to follow Jesus? Didn't they, I heard somebody say that. Was that tonight? If you're going to be a Christian, that means you're a follower of Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? He went to the cross. He suffered ridicule. He suffered rejection. He was, well, who hath believed our report, and whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, nor covenant. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Yet we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastised of our pieces upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. Surely we. we all we like sheep have gone astray, every one of us. And so when you think of Jesus and what he did for us, the rest of that chapter through verse 12, do you want to be like him? Because that's who, when it says he's conforming you into his image, that's what's going to happen, practically speaking, here and now. Because I think there's been a shame, it's been a shame that Christians have gotten the wrong idea what the Christian life is about. It's not about you. Making you happier, making you more comfortable, making you uh, cope so much as it is to make you like Christ and willing to suffer to get the gospel out, willing to suffer for his sake so that people have respect and when you speak, it has power. What's happened is Christians have been so 
neutralized by the health and wealth gospel. The sin has corrupted them, even to the place their worship services are copying the world to the T, that we have no power, or if I may say it in another way, no credibility. When we go tell somebody, hey, Jesus saved, saved from what? You look like me, act like me, smell like me, listen to the music I listen to, what's different? You drink, I drink, you dance, I dance. I mean, name something that we differ on. That has not been the case historically for sure. The practical Christian life. So when hard, real-life sufferings come to the Christian that are sissies and have not been taught their practical stance and reason for being a Christian, not just to have your sins forgiven, but then be a testimony and to be a light, ye are the lights of the world. They fall back. They put it in neutral. They complain that God shorted them. They get angry at God. There's lots of Christians out there angry at God because he didn't do what they thought. In fact, we have them in this church. They're not here tonight. Why? Because they're angry at God. He disappointed them. He didn't, he didn't do what he, what he said he, what they thought he said he was going to do for their family. They gripe simply that Christianity doesn't work for them and miss the whole point of being a Christian is that we lay our lives down. Romans 12, 1 to 2, 1, 2, we quote it all the time. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, sacrifice and suffering are like this, right? Sacrifice and suffering are like this. So when you, when you give yourself up to be a living sacrifice, sacrifice inherent in the very word is you give up what you want for God. Otherwise, it's not sacrifice, right? I mean, it's not sacrifice. When Brother Abdiel wants to collect tools for Cuba, I'm with Jeff Larson. I'm giving brand new tools, and I'm keeping my old junk. Because who am I giving that tool to? Jesus. And he don't give me junk. And so I'm, I got a brand new brushless DeWalt in the case, never even been open. I'm bringing it in. I'll give it to him. I'll give it to whoever. I would love to be there when that guy puts his hand on that thing. Now. But I don't get to be. I don't get to be there. But in faith, I hope somebody gets it that can use it. I'm not giving used tea bags to God. But, I mean, you can bring your used stuff. Don't feel bad. I probably I just killed a whole bunch of donation there. It's just, I'm just talking about Jeff Larson and me. It's just Jeff Larson. We're, we're peculiar, and everybody would say. If you don't know that Jeff's peculiar, let me talk to you. By the way, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's just a, your service of worship, your, your reasonable service of worship. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the newing of your mind that you may prove what is that. Prove, prove, prove means out there on the real world platform. Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Now, for those who understand that, there are no disappointments with God. Uh, they're, 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 there's only thankfulness, rejoicing, unspeakable, full of glory, that whatever comes their way, they can be part of the kingdom of God. Why? Because they expected to suffer. They expected to be persecuted. Why? The Bible promised it. They expected to be misused and abused. Why? Because the Bible promises it. They expect to be hated by the world. Why? Because Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They expected to suffer the same normal things that the world suffers. They didn't expect hurricanes to move away from them because they were Christian. They expected hurricanes to come through them just like they come through anybody else. But they do everything and all for the cause of Christ. Because in their eye, they have a glimmer of heaven. They remember the promises of a coming king. And they remember the position that the Bible gives them. And with the balance of what I've just talked to you about, which I, right now I've only told you the hard stuff, don't miss next week. But with this understanding that you're going to suffer, there's no disillusionment. But also with the understanding of who you are in Christ, there's no disappointment. You get it? No disappointment. Because you can't scare me with heaven. Because at the end of all the suffering that the world can throw at you, the worst they can do is kill the body. And when they do that, they deliver me to the angel that's responsible for me. I've worked him hard. I thought about how much I've, through the years, how the angel of God has saved me over and over and over again. I want to meet him and shake his hand and say, God bless you. Thank you. He'll backhand me and say, you made my life miserable, but no. That's the truth, what I just told you. That's the Bible, what I just told you. It's the Bible. Nothing would surprise me. See, when you read the practical side of the Word of God, nothing should surprise you that comes your way. It shouldn't surprise you if you go to Dr. Crabb and he says you got, you got a couple weeks to live. It shouldn't surprise you. And by the way, once you understand the balance of these two things, when people die of an instant heart attack, I'm envious. Amen? Oh, so-and-so, did you hear the bad news? What was that? He died in his sleep of a heart attack. And I said, are you kidding me? That's a Jeff impersonation. <laughs> Let me give you, I have white hair now. Are you kidding me? How'd I do? Okay, but I, I mean to tell you, there's been a few here at Gospel Baptist got to go home that way, and I didn't, I, oh, I miss them, but I didn't weep, weep for them. You get to go to heaven, because positionally speaking, woo, doggies, what have we got coming our way? 
Even so much that in our suffering, we can lift up our head and say, thank you, Jesus. Just what I preached about this morning. Father, help us tonight to understand the truth. Digest it. Challenge it. Go into the Bible. Look it up. Look through the book. Father, help us understand who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.